Welcome to Today on Broadway for Friday, March 3rd, 2023. I'm Broadway Radio's Matt Tamanini. And I'm Tell Me on a Sunday podcast, Grace Aki. Grace, we are recording a little bit early uh, yeah. in the day on Thursday because I am heading up to the villages, if you know, you know, uh, to see a production of La Caja Fall. I've never seen La Caja before, so very excited uh, about that. So hopefully nothing breaks later in the afternoon, early evening on Thursday that, that we would normally cover. If so, I'll have to like jump on when I get home to do that. But I appreciate you uh, rearranging your schedule for me. Well, you're almost putting it into existence. Like now something crazy is going to drop. You, you've kind of seeded it. So we'll see if, um, if Matt is doing his usual predictions. Yeah, we'll have like uh, a new production of like Sondheim's Saturday night coming to Broadway in like July or something for them to uh, to announce. But who knows? We'll see. If so, you can definitely hear it over on Patreon.com slash Broadway Radio, Broadway.com slash Patreon before you can hear it anywhere else. All right, Grace, this is something that is going to be very exciting for a certain fandom inside the musical theater community. And to be quite honest with you, probably a bigger fandom outside the musical theater community. I am a nerd. Uh, I don't know if you consider yourself a nerd, but you are like certain genre things. I don't know if this falls into your genre obsessions. It does not fall into mine, but it does fall into my brothers. A new production of the Lord of the Rings musical has announced a very unique production that will happen at the Watermill Theater in London this summer. It, of course, is based on the classic trilogy by J.R.R. Tolkien. The musical features a book and lyrics by Sean McKenna and Matthew Warchus and music by A.R. Rahman and Christopher Nightingale. Obviously, Matthew Warchus is the director and stager of Matilda the Musical. Christopher Nightingale was also a Tony winner and Grammy nominee for working on that original production as well. This will play at the Watermill from July 25th through October 15th. And what is interesting about this is that it will take place both inside and outside in a semi-immersive production. It is actually, this theater is in the town basically right next door to where Tolkien wrote his books. Um, So it has a lot of connections to the history of that. But according to the press notes, it said with the production set across both the Watermill Auditorium and Gardens, audiences will be immersed in the magical landscape of Tolkien, joining an ensemble cast and large scale puppets. We know how you love puppets on an epic journey celebrating the power of friendship and common goodness to conquer unimaginable evil. Now, this is not a world premiere. There has been productions of this show before. I think uh, in Toronto they had one. I think it's it's pretty long. I think unsurprisingly, if you've seen the movies, um, like three to four hour range. I don't know if this will be modified at all, but for certain nerds, again, my brother included, this is a pretty big deal to be able to do this on essentially the same lands that Tolkien wrote his stories on. I've imagined, I imagine that there will be a lot of Hobbit heads uh, descending onto the water mill coming up this summer. Yeah, you know, I consider this part of dorkdom. I don't consider this that's part of fair. nerddom, which yes, I think are very fair. different things. They are, 100%. Um, yeah, so I know I've, I've already seen like Fergie Philippe immediately posted to his story being like, pick me, pick me. And I was like, oh my God, the dorks of Broadway are coming out to yeah. play, which I love. Um, so yeah, I think a lot of people are really excited about this. Um, I'm curious what type of puppetry because, you know, that's like my mm-hmm. safe word. Um, so I was really excited when when you said that. And um, so here here we go, I guess. I mean, uh, call Julie Taymor, please. Well, Toby he, Ollie. Well, here's my question. Let's get Basil into this. Twist. That all of them, all of them are good. <laughs> I mean, um, here's my question. Can you define the difference between 
nerddom and dorkdom? Break it down for us. Well, I could visually, but this is a podcast, so okay. no. See, I think of like <laughs> I think of like dorkdom as like um, things that are a little bit more academically advanced, like Tolkien. It's it's based on literature. Where nerddom is a little bit more like genre fandom, where you get like comic yes. books and yes. superheroes and stuff like that. Is that fair? I would argue, and everyone's going to come for me, so I know I'm wrong. I'm just saying it out loud. I know I'm wrong. Star Wars, Star Trek, um, any type of like fantasy land, like to your point, nerddom. Lord of the Rings, that D- Dungeons and Dragons, um, Renfair, dorkdom. That's where okay. I put these two things, space and land. Fantasy. <laughs> this is something that I'm sure they debated for hours on like the Big Bang Theory, but I didn't catch yeah. that episode apparently. But nonetheless, I agree with you. Bazinga. Should be exciting. <laughs> um, all right. Real quick. I've got a, a couple of sets of reviews that I want to run through. They are not complete reviews because since they are not in New York, these things kind of trickle out. But they are shows that opened uh, earlier this week. The first one is not in New York at all. It is at the Paper Mail Playhouse in New Jersey. And of course, that is Disney's Hercules that is currently set to run through Sunday, March 19th. It features Bradley Gibson as Hercules, Tony Winters, Schuller Hensley as Hades, and James Monroe Eichelhart as Phil, and Isabel McCalla as Meg. It features music and lyrics by Alan Menken and David Zippel with a book by Robert Horn and Kwame Kwai Arma. It is directed as it was in the park as part of the Public Works program a couple summers ago by Lear de Bessonet and choreographed by Chase Brock and Tanisha Scott, based on not only the Disney film uh, of the same name, but also, uh, of course, the Greek myth. There's not a ton of reviews out there, but I will start with Jacqueline Cutler from NJ.com. And her review starts, Hercules is no longer a myth. It's a mystery, or at least it's bewildering how a production teeming with such spectacular talent might result in a musical so soulless and forgettable. Perhaps it's not that mysterious. The book dragging this play across the paper mill playhouse stage is woeful. She continues, she goes on, but she does want to start off by making sure that we talk about the, the the title actor in this. She says, quote, before discussing lines that were dusty in vaudeville, let us celebrate Bradley Gibson as Hercules. Watching him flex impressive biceps may be enough for some, the man rocks a tunic, but he's also a genuine triple threat. And she goes on to talk about his 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 resume a little bit. She talks about Schuler Hensley and James Eigelhart and some of the things that they do and all of that. And just barely talks about Izzy McCullough, which seems offensive to me. She does praise the the muses, even though they are down from nine to five. No pun intended. Uh, and this talked about how great they were. But she ends her review by writing, quote, Hercules delivers what we've come to expect from these productions. Take a well-known story and put a hero in a moral predicament. Make him learn that we are stronger united than alone and that doing right, good prevails. Who could argue with such lessons? This, though, is so obvious that it feels much more like a formula for minting money than an interpretation of a classical myth. It's commerce, not art. I'm a little disappointed with that, uh, Grace, to be quite honest with you. Uh, with that cast, I was really hoping that this would be a new, like a knockdown, drag out hit for Disney. Obviously, if it does come to Broadway, which we have every indication to believe that it will in a certain other show that is currently running on Broadway that has a connection to James and Earl Eagleheart will close so that that theater can be opened. Wait, for real, Matt? You feel this way? What do you mean? Do you think that that's possible? No, not at all. I don't think that there's any plans for this to transfer. 
But it's interesting. I'm. I'm. That's I'm, not what I've heard. So you would know better than I would. You're much more of an insider no, no, than no, no. I am. This is not an I've insider heard. thought. This is just genuine, like what we've seen, like tried and true. And it's not a knock to the production at all by any means, because I don't, I haven't seen it. But my uh, just like understanding of how a lot of things these things work is that like they're putting this up in a sense at paper mill in order to create licensing opportunities for schools and um, regional productions for people to be able to have it in the ether, much like hunchback. Um, I don't believe, I I think that to everyone's credit, like there would have been more time spent on um, perfecting like the book, the way that people have been talking about it. Robert Horn is obviously like in, in the depths of shucked right now, which I am seeing the first preview of thank goodness. Uh Um, But yeah, so I, I actually have completely contrasting opinion on its feasibility and likelihood of the plans for it to transfer. If at all, Um, I, I very much felt strongly that they were knocking this out in in the best possible way at an incredible theater in order to create opportunities for licensing productions and not having this transfer. I see. I, I've heard differently. I will just say, like, it's been three and a half years since it was in the park. So it's like they've had time to work on it. It's not like this was in the park last summer. So it was the, it was back in 2019 when we saw this on stage before the pandemic. So, like, it's had time. Um but I was really hoping that this would be great. I mean, their original plan was to do Newsies at Paper Mill and then license it out. We saw what happened with that. I was kind of hoping that even if the, that was their plan, that it well, would be... Well, they were surprised just, that it was such right, a Right, that's what I mean. Like, I was kind of hoping <laughs> that they would, like, have no choice because it was so great at Paper Mill that they would have to come. I've been led to believe that this is coming to Broadway. Um, that could very well not be the case. That could very well change. But that's what I've I've yeah. heard. We'll see what happens. Um I'm interested in this, Grace, that we are so diametrically opposed to what we think the future for this will be, but uh, we'll have fun following along and seeing what happens. The next show that I want to talk about is from Manhattan Theater Club, The Best We Could, A Family Tragedy, which just recently opened. And Ashley saw it earlier this week, and uh, I don't want to speak for her because she told me this you know, like before the reviews were out and everything, but she loved it. She, it was very different than what she expected it to be. This is a new play by Emily Feldman, directed by Daniel Oikin, and it stars Aya Cash, Brian D. Coates, Maureen Sebastian, Constance Schulman, and Frank Wood. The description of the show is a daughter's road trip with her father becomes a theatrical journey across more than just state lines. This funny, wise, and heartbreaking debut from an exciting new writer is brought to vibrant life by Daniel Oikin. Um... This one, let me see what the dates are here, is currently scheduled to run through just the end of this month. The last performance date is scheduled to be March 26th. Let's start off with um, Alyssa Gardner from the New York Sun saying, quote, the increasingly gaping divide between worldviews of baby boomers and those of their post-generation ex-children is often played for laughs these days. And certainly there are plenty of funny moments in the best we could a family tragedy. Emily Feldman's absorbing, preciously humane account of an aging man's relationship with his 30-something daughter. Moving on to Jillian Russo from the New York Theater Guide, she said, quote, The best we could makes us hyper aware of its theatricality, but the premise isn't fantastical. It's painfully plausible. It takes emotions and experiences we as humans champion, connection, family integrity, and flips them on their head. Finally, uh, Amanda Maria Miller from Theaterly said, quote, The Best We Could, the new play from Emily Feldman and Manhattan Theater Club, runs 90 minutes straight through, and yet the story stuck with me quite a bit longer. In the New York City Center Stage 1 space, this world premiere production uses uh, conversational text and minimalist design to question family, trust, and false hopes. 
Barring a few surprisingly magical moments, the best we could cuts right to the chase and slices through all the conversations best suited for a family tragedy, the subtitle of the play. So this has got great reviews and also one that I'm sure Ashley will talk about at some point, either on social media or here on Broadway Radio, Uh, but excited about this one to run through the end of the month and hope that people get a chance to see it. All right, real quick, got some news here that I want to mention. Um, Old, old friend of Broadway Radio here and somebody who I was trying to get an interview with earlier in this year around New Year's and we weren't able to do it. Um, But our old friend Jose Solis, um, it has been announced that after runs at the Kennedy Center and other places, his BIPOC Critics Lab will launch its first cohort at the Public Theater later this year. Um, It had a two-year collaboration with the Kennedy Center and it will now have its first time at the Public this summer. Um, The sessions for the lab will begin in July with the Public Theater's free Shakespeare in the Park production of Hamlet and will continue through the rest of the public theater's 2023-2024 season. Um, The program will follow a hybrid model with some sessions online and some in person. Uh, Applicants living in or near the tri-state area will be prioritized, but obviously you don't need that. Um, Since the BIPOC Critics Lab began three years ago, 30 BIPOC critics have had their works published through assignments for the program, and many have gone on to find success as freelance writers. Uh, I adore Jose. He is a good friend and a wonderful human being, uh, and he founded this. He currently lives in Spain. I think he's getting his master's degree uh, in a university in Spain. So uh, I'm hoping this means that he'll be coming back to New York at some point. Uh, and we'll have a chance to to meet up with him. But this is a very cool thing. And honestly, just another representation of how, like, just do the thing. He looked around and saw there weren't a whole lot of people of color that were getting critica- critical opportunities in theater. So he made a thing to help them have those opportunities. Yeah, I was really excited to see him post this. And I may or may not have added it to my homepage. <laughs> very good. This is this is fantastic. Love to yeah, see it. Love to see it. Absolutely. Um. All right, so real quick, we have some updates on who the incredible performers will be for the upcoming Broadway Backwards lineup that will be coming from Broadway Cares, Equity Fights, AIDS later this month. Uh, This will be happening on March 13th at the New Amsterdam Theater at 8 p.m. We already knew about some folks like uh, George Abood, Corman Blue, um, Wayne Brady, Lynn Cario, Adriana Hicks, Robin Herter, Ellen Marie Marsh, Sam Pauly, Anthony Rapp, Leia Salanga, Ali Stroker, and more. Um, Jen Colella is hosting for the third year in a row. But uh, on Thursday, we got some more people that'll be joining, including the iconic, if not slightly problematic, F. Marie Abraham, Eden Espinoza, Robbie Fairchild, Barrett Foa, Beth Level, Bonnie Milligan, and Alexandra Silber. Many, many former Broadway radio guests are, are a part of this event. Um, this is always one of the most fun things throughout the entire Broadway calendar. So if you are have uh, if you're interested and you have the opportunity to be there, definitely recommend getting tickets. And then also coming up later this month, actually beginning on March 19th, the fifth longest running musical in off-Broadway history, Musical the Musical, will be returning with a whole new set of sketches, songs, and parodies that are going to tackle the latest headlines. It will play at the newly renovated AMT Theater located in Hell's Kitchen. So this is from the same people. Rick Crum, original cast member of You're in Town. Um, Christine Petty was involved in this. Uh, We talked about it in in our interview. So kind of cool. Yeah, absolutely. So um, got some great folks in there as well. Returning to the principal company are, this is one of my favorite things ever, Kristen Alderson, who is an Emmy winner, from One Life to Live in General Hospital. She 
I mean, she's probably your age, if not a little older, but like I watched her grow up on soap operas. She did it um, off Broadway. She was also in the Marvelous Wonderettes off Broadway. So uh, Carly Sokolov is in there as well, who's always really great. So Christine Petty actually going to be returning for two days during the first two weeks, March 26th and 27th. Um, I guess that's right before or right after the um the the what's the importance of being not the importance of being frank the the rewards of being frank uh either way very exciting we will have uh and more information of that in the show notes if you want to get tickets and finally my recommendation for today is a really wonderful article from thomas floyd uh in the washington post called decoding the genius of sondheim six theater pros explain his mystique and they talk with a bunch of different people uh about what makes sondheim so great including John Weidman, a regular collaborator of of Sondheim. Tommy Kale, currently directing the Broadway revival of Sweeney Todd, obviously. Montego Glover, who is currently playing the Kennedy Center as the witch in Into the Woods. Also in there is John Kalbfleisch, who has served as the resident music director at Washington, D.C. Signature Theater, where they do many, many Sondheim productions. In fact, they're doing... Sweeney, I think later this spring. Very exciting to hear all of these perspectives. There's a few others in there as well, but definitely recommend checking this out for anybody who loves uh, who loves Stephen Sondheim's work. All right, Grace, that's all I have. Anything exciting for you coming up this weekend? Oh, I hope I get to sleep a little. Yeah, uh, good luck I with have. That. I actually have a New York Theater Workshops show. Thank you, Matt. Yep. Um, I've got a lot of fun stuff. I'm actually seeing a show tonight at Soho Playhouse that I can't wait to tell you all about. Mm. Um, I also now am a, on my way, what, in a week or two weeks or so to see um, a show at Audible Theater. There's a lot of off-Broadway great, great, great shows happening. So I'm really ecstatic to talk to you all more about that next week. Awesome. Can't wait. All right, everybody, that is all that we have. Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Broadway Radio. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BWW. Matt, Grace, where can people find you? You can find me on all forms of social media for the time being at It's Grace Aki. All right, everybody, have a wonderful Friday, a wonderful weekend. We'll be back to talk to you on Monday.